Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman and now the 21st century i'm an extremely stable genius you're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck here are royal oaks and connor oaks this is too many lawyers this is too many lawyers i'm royal oaks and i'm connor oaks welcome back connor you're off for a few weeks and here you are again midsummer back jumping into the thick of it absolutely well It's terrific that you're back, and uh, we've got a great episode for everybody today. Two big questions we're going to get into, uh, whether we should use death-qualified jurors in capital cases. Now, death-qualified... Inside baseball alert! Yeah, it's where the jurors promise that, yes, they'll vote for capital punishment if the facts and the law support that conclusion. And that would exclude jurors who say, uh, Your Honor, what part of, I don't believe in capital punishment, do you not understand? For whatever reason. Exactly. We're going to get into that issue. Connor and I have a healthy difference of opinion on that topic. Very healthy. And topic number two, the January 6th hearings involving former President Donald Trump. What is going to happen next? The hits kept coming all last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some pretty strong opinions about whether Trump's going to be prosecuted. Did I call him Hump there? I didn't call him Hump. No, of course not. This is a family podcast. His name's Trump. Anyway, so, um, yeah, well, you think it's a family podcast. Wait till we get to... uh, Wait till you get to uh, the big feature at the end of the show. Guess Uh-oh. the guess the verdict. As always, guess the verdict uh, has to do Connor with uh, a rather provocative issue, a, a really intriguing question. See, it's now the, you're building me up. Now, yeah, now I'm, I'm getting I'm all excited just about giving a this. Tease here. This yeah. is the case uh-huh. of the male lawyer telling his female opponent, "Hey, see you next Tuesday." And ah. we're going to get into that at the end of the podcast. But first, before we get into the two big topics of death-qualified jurors and what's next on the January 6th front, um, I, I, want to, I want to introduce a brand new feature. Ooh, uh, I love features. Trivia question for Connor. Oh, trivia, uh, more pressure. It's a show business trivia question for Connor. Oh my gosh, I'm not a show business lawyer. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Here, here's the question. Are you ready for it? Yes. In what movie did actress Laura Linney play a sex worker? Da, 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 da. You don't have to worry about form of a question, or, as long as you blurt out the uh, the correct answer. We'll, we'll, we'll All I can it. see is Laura Dern, Laura no. Linney. Well, uh, taxi driver. No, I don't think she was alive when that was uh, in the nineteen seventies. Yeah, she's probably alive. But. Uh, how many guesses do I get? As many as you want. No, that's not good, because we'll be here all night. Well, uh, Let's go three. Three. Okay, we got Taxi Driver. Well, uh, you don't want to just start guessing Citizen Kane. Unless Les Miserables? You, unless you have some notion, I'm going to start to give you a clue. Na- okay, yes, please, clue. I'm just naming uh, sex worker films. Okay, uh, so here is a clue. Um, Ed Harris. Ed Harris was in the film, and I believe he was not only nominated for, but I think he may have won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in this 
in this movie. Does that does that help at all? Huh? No, well, it doesn't. Okay, I, uh, I might a, need another hint. Here's another hint. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey was the star of the movie. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the star. You're kind of stumped. You're kind of stumped on this one. Ed aren't you? Harris. Mm-hmm. Ed Harris. You know, he's the uh, guy from A History of Violence. No, no, Viggo I know Mortensen. he's a, he's a big name. Yeah. He played a guy named Kristoff in this movie. Ed Harris played Kristoff. And uh, Jim Carrey. Ed Harry pl- Harris played Kristoff in The Truman Show. Exactly right. Very good guess, Connor. The wife, the wife in The Truman Show. Laura Linney played a sex worker in The Truman yes. Show. Well, wait a minute. You you have a, a perplexed, uh, quizzical... Well, I mean, it's certainly a smile little... Smile on per- your it's face. It's a little perplexing. Yeah. Well, I don't understand. What's perplexing? Everybody no, knows I, the plot of The Truman Show. It. That's The true. corporation adopts a baby for the yes, first time. Truman's true. life is televised every moment of his life. Yes. Except, you know, super intimate stuff that nobody would want to see. Right. But the fact is, the fact is that she played his wife. She played the part of his wife. And unless, unless you're going to tell me that he was celibate in this movie. Or maybe she independently became romantically attached and fell in love with and had a legitimate marriage to Jim Carrey in this movie. Truman in this movie. Part of the plot shows that their wedding picture, she has her fingers crossed. That's a good Truman figures that out. He looks at it. Yeah. That was her fatal flaw. Are you, are you disagreeing with my premise, the premise of my question that she, in fact, played I a love, sex worker? I love the... No, I'm not. I love the premise of that movie, which is that this woman is willing to make her entire life a lie in front of everyone, mm-hmm. but she has to cross her fingers in the picture uh, to just give him a clue. This is like how people think that cops have to tell you if they're a cop. Like, if you ask them <laughs> right. before you do a drug deal, like, hey, man, are you a cop? You've got to tell me. And it's like... No, they don't. You Here's don't a, have to c- cross your fingers if it's not a, a real marriage. That doesn't mean anything. These are made-up rules. These are complete myths. I, how could anyone be a, an undercover cop if they, if they ever had to admit that they were an over, undercover cop and immediately get shot? There's so no you, way. You can redeem yourself here if you can answer a question. I got it. Well, that was pretty good. Yeah, I only you did. A couple it, of it's guesses. very good. Yes, Thank that's you. true. Uh, so why has there never been a sequel in the 24 years since the release of The Truman Show in 1998, why mm-hmm. no sequel? It seems, I mean, it seems inconceivable that no Hollywood sure. person has come up with a treatment yeah. that sounds appealing. What happened after Truman walked through that door? Yeah. That wall, okay? No, you're there right. There were you, lawsuits you, and criminal cases. What about his relationship with the gal that went off to Fiji? Sure. Uh, uh, he was told. His relationship with Kristoff. Yeah. And all the theme is about, you know, controlling people's lives and people's obsession with... Re- this was a reality show deal before reality shows yeah. were a thing. The ultimate the, reality show. The death of privacy, the surveillance society, the extent to which corporations subjugate human rights for profit. Damn right. With all of those themes, how can there not have been a follow-up, a sequel? It, it's Okay, well, we obviously have the, the one possibility, which is to say not a possibility, which is the artist has integrity and knows that it would be <laughs> a cash grab and defeat and undermine the original work because most sequels would, right? A lot of fiction is self-contained. Mm-hmm. It's built like you have a concept, you we work it hey, out. Godfather to its 2 did pretty well. Well, but that's just the story of a crime family. You can just kind of keep that going. But this, like, The Truman Show is a very much a movie about a concept, right? And it's hard to make a, a, a follow up to that yeah, that doesn't. I would have bought a ticket. I, me too. But it, it would, it kind of undermine the original work. That's one possibility. You've Second a, of all, oh, go ahead. You, you know, a lot of times these big Hollywood uh, movies, Ed Harris's and Laura Linney's and Jim Carrey's, they move on. They Other do stuff to do. Yeah, they're busy. They don't want to retread their their past and even if it would would be a paycheck they've got other paychecks look possible. you've got a week before the next podcast 
why don't you do a treatment? Okay. okay? It doesn't have to be a 110-page no, screenplay. No, 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 no. Just a few pages, a yeah. treatment. Yeah. It's going to I'm going to sit down in a coffee shop somewhere with, of course, a mask and now gloves because of monkeypox, and I will be on my, my mechanical typewriter, and I will bang out, you know, Ed Harris walks into a Starbucks and sees And he's been sued by Truman. He's lost everything. Filed for bankruptcy. And there's an awkward moment in the supermarket checkout line where they're both there scanning rutabagas next to each other, and they make eye contact, yeah. And Laura Linney's turned into a nun because she's so ashamed about having been a sex worker for all Sure, sure. Well, not that that's the thing to be ashamed of. Okay, so here is the next question I want to get into before we get to our big two topics. Please. Did you know that they wrote a column in the newspaper about our podcast? No. You're right, they what? didn't. They oh. didn't. They didn't. <laughs> what? But, but they sort of did. Nicholas Goldberg of the Los Angeles Times okay. wrote an op-ed piece about the relationship between Clarence Thomas and Sotomayor. And... Uh, Sonia Sotomayor in yeah, the Supreme yeah, Court. Yeah. And I, I read it and I thought, well, this is kind of like our situation. This you and I disagree on everything. Yeah. And yet we do it in a respectful, yeah. fun way. Right. And wait till... I had no idea that they, they were such good friends. You may remember, Connor, that uh, Antonin Scalia... Allegedly, with was very good friends. With, yeah. Well, yeah, it was more than allegedly. Oh, I'm it, sure. it was yeah. all over the newspaper. I, mean, I don't know. You make it personally. sound like it's a crime. No, he no. was allegedly a friend of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> I mean, Hasn't I, been proven by a jury. I yet, never but, saw him holding hands in the park. That's all. No, I'm say. but they would go to the opera together. They would spend ah. every New Year's Eve together. Ah. They're, you know, their spouses. It's yeah. Not like, like they were sneaking off. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, so that that's sort of the precedent. Now comes Clarence Thomas and Sonia Sotomayor. She says. I can be friends with him. Uh, he is the, a beloved figure at the court, Sotomayor says. He knows the every name of every employee in the building. Clarence Thomas was the first to send flowers when my stepfather died. And in spite of our differences of opinion in cases... Now, her comments, I have to say, did not go over well with no. a lot of her supporters. No. Bunk tweeted one. So tone deaf, wrote yeah. another. Yeah. She was either drinking or smoking marijuana. And then there's, <laughs> oh, expletive deleted gag me. Yeah. Of course, I'm wondering what was the expletive that was deleted sure. in in the gag me line. Yeah, but and a lot of people are saying, especially after the recent uh, Dobbs yeah. case, yeah. case, you know, with uh, Clarence Thomas and his right. wife Ginny, and so, yeah. how in the world can this hardcore yeah. progressive, wise Latina justice? But you just because he knows the names of the janitors and at the this, Supreme Court building, this is, I think, uh, the one of the big dangers uh, that. Uh, comes with uh, adhering to the social norms of civility and professionalism and all these other nonsense things that prop up the status quo and allow us to glide along on the juggernaut that is American society and American culture and all look around and say everything's okay and it doesn't matter what the policy outcomes are. It doesn't matter how much people are suffering. All that matters is that uh, we smile and we nod to each other on the street or we are civil to each other across the table. Now, you and I have a relationship based on something other than politics and it's a personal relationship, obviously. But theirs is son. A, yes, but theirs is a personal relationship right. too. They're co-workers. Right. Yeah. See and, each other every day. And we have we, and we have uh, political discussions, as the listeners will know, that are very strong, uh, pointed uh, positions uh, that we take. Yeah, and to give an example or two, mm-hmm. you think of law enforcement in America, and you think it's racist, yes. it's criminal, it's yes. evil. I think of them as the thin blue line between society and pure unempathetic evil. Okay, right. you see America as a really 
a damaged goods type country with a very uh, questionable past. Yes. I see it as exceptional. I say it started in 1776, not 1619. I mean, we couldn't disagree more about all these incredibly fundamental things, and yet we get along. And so maybe that's how Clarence Thomas see, and Sotomayor get it's along. It's very different when you are a father and son who maintain a relationship where you, you know, Put each other on notice of your opinions and how you think that the other's actions and words and positions that you take in public and all the rest affect the world at large. You do that work of, of, of doing the, the, the public stuff out there, uh, and then you ha- maintain the relationship, the foundational relationship, where you literally bottle-fed me you know, while I was in the ICU or whatever, right? That, that is a different kind of relationship. On the other hand, you have two people who are co-workers who choose to become friendly with one another and then choose to do puff pieces in the newspaper <laughs> while they are the most powerful, one of the of the nine most powerful people on the planet. What are we, chopped liver? You're right. Joe Manchin is actually more powerful. Oh, okay. But but other than Joe Manchin uh, and and Joe Biden, uh, he these are the nine most powerful people on planet Earth. Maybe okay. There's Putin and there's Xi Jinping, but but they're they're up there, right? They're top twenty. They're mm-hmm. top freaking twenty. Mm-hmm. And when you are that public, and when you have the choice, this is not your father or your sibling that you have a deep and underlying relationship on which you built a difference of politics over the course of your lives. This is somebody who you walk down the hall next to and who it benefits you both to do puff pieces in the newspaper where you prop up the status quo about how great the freaking Supreme Court is. I don't give a crap about how friendly these people are because they're only doing that article. They're only doing this, you know, arm arm and arm, buddy, buddy, we're friends thing because you do that exploited, deleted tweet. Yeah, they both love being on the Supreme Court. They both love being one of the most important and powerful people in the world. They both love doing newspaper articles that prop up the status quo. And I'll tell you, Sotomayor, I am a big fan of her policy positions. I am not a big fan of the fact that she is, as this, as that expletive deleted type person said, totally tone deaf as to how toxic and terrible politics is in America is right now because of how completely insane and off the rails, in my opinion, the right is and how how hard we are turning, veering toward fascism. And when your 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 co-workers, your opponents in politics are taking a hard right turn towards actual factual fascism, biopolitics, control over female bodies, you know, overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, we're talking not even Handmaid's Tale because that's this fantasy version. This is the real version of how fascism happens and has happened in many countries as we backslide away from freedom and justice and liberty and all the rest. And if you look at your co worker making a hard right and starting to stencil out the Nazi uh, symbol on his armband and you go, but we're really friends. And you go go out and you do puff pieces with that person. You are hurting America. So now now I you feel- and I, we are healing America. So, and it's different because we're not on the freaking Supreme Court. Now I feel guilty because I've ruined Sonia Sotomayor for you. Okay. A little bit. Okay. She lost 10%. When 10% we come back, death qualified juries. A great idea. Oh. Stick with us. On too many lawyers. But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, if you like more uh, cutting legal analysis, i.e. inane legal rambling, <laughs> barely legal, frankly, rambling. Sorry, I shouldn't say barely legal. It's a family pod. It's a family pod. 
pod, everybody. Um, uh, check us out on whatever podcast platform you like. Probably that's Apple, given their global hegemony uh, on the tech uh, industry. Well, not global, actually, but American hegemony. Uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave us a review. We love them. Hit the join button. I don't know why it's called join. It really should say sign up to get every episode pushed to your phone so you don't have to download it manually. But it says join on the podcast page. Leave us a review. Rate us five stars. Uh, we love you. Uh, and we read each one. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Okay, death qualified juries. Uh, capital punishment's kind of kind of going away, I think. About 10, 15, 20 years ago, about 70% of Americans were okay with capital punishment yeah. surveys now. Survey says uh, maybe yeah. 50%. That was a good Between Steve 50. Harvey. That was really good. Yeah, yeah, between 50 and 55%. So it's it's kind of going Shrinking, away. Shrinking, but still still a majority. Plus you get the more- Even in California. Yeah, yeah. And you get the, just barely in California, you got the moratoria on on, on executions. But, yeah. but here's the issue about the death qualified deal. Once again, Nicholas Goldberg, he's the source of all our stories here. Mm-hmm. He's a sharp guy, good columnist for the LA Times. I don't uh, agree with anything he ever says, but I, I think he's a smart, <laughs> smart guy. So he says, you know, death qualified jurors are are bad uh, mm-hmm. for because they are not representative of society. So it as, excludes people who would not follow the law. As a background, explain for us how the process of qualifying a jury for the death penalty works. Hey, you're you're the you're the prosecutor, you want the death penalty, what do you do? Real straightforward. Um the the rule is that when the judge is talking to the jurors at the start of a case where it's a capital case and theoretically possibly the guy could be convicted of murder in the first degree and given the death penalty. The the judge says to all the potential jurors, look, we got to make sure that you're going to follow the law. There are some cases like multiple murderers, you know, you you torture somebody or you kill a cop or you use a bomb under some like I said, laundry list of about 15 grounds for capital punishment as yeah. opposed to uh, life in prison without possibility. It's real bad parole. murder, not yeah, just ordinary really. murder, real bad murder. And, and so because capital punishment is a controversial topic, the judge says to the jurors, I need to make sure that you assure me that you can vote for capital punishment if all the pieces fit together, if the Tetris puzzle works out and you agree that, yeah, the prosecutor proved his case. Right. Or are you one of those folks who, you know, 
Quaker or whatever, you know, have a religious or Connor kind of have a religious objection yeah. to capital Thou punishment. shalt not kill. What's unclear yeah. about speak, that? Speak now or forever hold your peace. And so jurors are supposed to, you know, tell the truth yeah. and say that they can do it or not. And if they say, I'm sorry, I just have a moral objection, he says, Well, sounds like you'd be more comfortable handling a different case, go down to Department 17. Right. And they do this because, as you pointed out, it's a very controversial thing. They know that right. they might end up with a bunch of jurors who aren't going to follow the law, even if under the law they meet the certain criteria that should bump them from just murder to capital murder. So this uh, fellow Nicholas Goldberg's point in the LA Times is if we ask these questions and we get rid mm. of a, an eighth or a fourth or a third of the jurors, we're going to be left with an unrepresentative sample. Oh, my yeah. attitude Absolutely. is, oh my goodness, we, we would be excluding people who won't follow the law. What a freaking nightmare. Right. To me, Connor, this is the essence of progressivism. I don't care what the law says. I don't care what, uh, you know, I, I know what I want. I know what I like. That's what's going to happen. Society says here, here are the rules of the criminal justice system, whether it's theft is illegal or drugs are illegal, capital punishment is legal. We want a juror who will promise to follow the rules. And and even though I'm a libertarian and I believe the drug laws should uh, be abolished, if I were on a jury, I wouldn't spit in the eye of the judge, the system Ooh, and so this on. this is juicy. Really? Yeah, I would not nullify a verdict. Really? I would follow the law. I would vote for the libertarian candidate who would change the law, but I'm not going to break the law. So you get, wait, it's not breaking the law. Whatever happens in the sanctity of the jury room never leaves the sanctity of the Bull jury room. Pucky. And you can vote have, have no. You, have you and seen it's totally 12 legal. Angry Men? And, yes. Uh, There's it, nothing secret about that. I've seen it five times. It's in a movie. Yeah. So you can oh, vote. Fine. Oh, and it's not just that So it's you're secret. saying if I, if I could k- kill the custodian in the courthouse right. in, in the jury room because nobody's around, everybody's out having a Cinnabon, yeah, yeah. that that's okay totally because secret. nothing no. leaves the sanctity of the this jury room? This is such room? a good topic. No. It, it absolutely, it, it's not like it's not like a, a, a crime-free zone. It's not the purge well, in there. I'm glad you to can hear do that. Anything. It's just that the, 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 the justice system says we trust the judgment of jurors, so we don't go in and ask you we why. We don't trust the judgment of jurors. We have declarations submitted by people after the trial that say, hey, this juror was drunk or was bribed. That's true. And so, boom, that verdict but is out But we trust the judgment of the judge, yeah, and he gets to make lots of judgments, even though later people can say he was drunk or whatever. So it, you think people should be able to follow their conscience, yes. even if it's against the law? Well, Mr. Progressive, let me ask you a little hypothetical question yeah. here. Because uh, you, you don't like people to promise to follow the law mm-hmm. because you, you don't like the law. Why what if there's a trial involving a white cop uh-huh. accused of shooting a black man? Yes. Well, let's assume the evidence is going to show the white cop is a racist guy. Yeah. Is it okay to ask a prospective juror who, by the way, add to the hypothetical, he's in the Ku Klux Klan. Okay. Is it okay to ask the prospective juror, now, do you promise to vote to convict the cop if the law and the facts support a guilty verdict? I would say, yeah, I, I want to know if this evil KKK guy is going to vote his racist conscience. If he's if he's going to vote in a in a racist way, I want to know it so I can kick him off just like I want to kick off the person who says, hell no, no capital punishment. Hell no, marijuana should be illegal. Well, I'm not going to convict this there guy we have of a marijuana. Really, a really good point. That is why we have a special category of protections for people who are 
of certain backgrounds, things uh, things like race, religion, uh, gender. We have these protected classes that constitutional law has decided, oh, based on the way human brains work and society and history and everything else, these people have been you know, pro- persecuted or we per- persecute each other mm-hmm. on the basis of these protected statuses. And we should you know, we should we should protect those people so that if there is somebody uh, who who is that protected status, for example, on the jury, you can't boot them off because of it. And the same should be uh, reversed, where we say it should be a protection uh, against racism or whatever uh, for the defendant. If, if you're going to be racist against the defendant, we should protect defendants from that. But if you say to somebody, um, my guy works at a lemonade stand, um, and uh, and and he. Uh, uh, and and he shortchanged a customer, and then the 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 juror says, "I was shortchanged at a lemonade stand when I was seven years old, and I didn't get my nickel back, and I am am, am stuck on that. And oh boy, that really right. is a formative, you know, personal memory that really defines who I am. Um, and if that's not a protected class, and then the the lawyer should have to argue about whether that biases them because it comes down to the judge's judgment of, of whether this person is biased or whatever. But you should uh, you, that person should still be in the jury pool. You shouldn't have an automatic rule where the judge is just kicking people out uh, because Goldberg is absolutely right. If you start excluding people who aren't okay with the concept of, of capital punishment, he's right that you don't get a, a representative sample. It's not just that you don't get a representative sample of people who are willing to do the, ju- the, the death penalty. You get 0% people who aren't willing to do the death penalty, but you get a massively disproportionate uh, sampling of people but why do we care? I don't, I don't what about want... all the categories that go along with a willingness to, to enforce the death penalty? But I don't want you a jury that looks jurors. like America if that means including KKK guys and if that means including libertarians that will never vote guilty in a drug case and if that means including people who don't like capital punishment. I, well, I, I mean, do you think that every judge in every case should run a, a, a jury nullification seminar at the beginning where they explain... You know me? Hey, I want the polygraph machine. Every I want to single hook juror, up every juror. Right, sure, every juror and a shock system. Too, are you willing? Why you get shocked? But here's the thing: if you're willing to do that, then why do we even have juries? The point of a jury is we trust jurors. I'm listening. <laughs> I, I'm I'm open to your suggestion. <laughs> no, you need juries. It's a good system. I mean, there are lots of right, other so, systems out there in the world. Where you don't use juries, and juries are generally extremely messed up. Uh, but only in my mind because they're not representative. Largely, if you the more representative you make the jury pool, the better the outcomes. All of the horror stories in American jurisprudence are about skewed jury pools. They're about the jury pool uh, where you excluded all black people or white people or, 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 or women or whatever. Okay. You're, you're about the jury pool where you exclude the people who are, are, are not okay with capital punishment. When you kick out all the people who are squeamish about capital punishment, guess who you end up on, with on your jury? A bunch of law and order conservatives who are going, yeah, fry them. So Those me- people are, are already predisposed to convict. That's an unfair sampling for the defendant. The defendant should get a a representative slice of America, not a representative slice of America who are law and order well, conservatives. Just because they uh, agree to follow the law and say yes to capital punishment, if all the facts and, and the law point to that, doesn't mean that they're automatically going to vote to convict somebody improperly no, but with a pro-prosecution I think, bias. I think it's an increased uh, chance. I think there's Could a correlation be. there. But you're right. If, if there was a, a correlation the other way, I would also say that that is a danger. I would say that that's a problem. Now, this is one of those issues where I'm actually even handed. Most issues, I'm completely skewed. Most <laughs> issues, I'm this classical progressive so that you keep twist. criticizing over here, and rightfully so, who I think 
progressive political outcomes are good. Conservative political outcomes are bad, period. End of story. That's it. If if I can use a tactic that will get me a progressive political outcome, I will use it. And if the other side uses the same tactic, I will say that's morally wrong and bad because you're trying to get the wrong bad outcome. Let's talk about a related capital punishment issue. Uh, the related issue is uh, life versus death. Yes. Life in prison. Um, people say, well, my gosh, one of the problems with capital punishment is, what if we make a horrible mistake? Yeah. My understanding is uh, we actually haven't come up with in American history the names of any people who we know we executed and then later on you know, evidence of we know, oh, my God, we, we blew it. Now, the Innocence Project lists 18 people who were on death row who were then exonerated by DNA, and then they were off death row, and then they were just given life in prison. But to me, let me ask you just from sort of a philosophical perspective, and I'll give you another hypothetical. People argue, well, you know, if we do make this mistake, losing a life is, is unique. Uh, whereas if you're sentenced to life and you lose 30 years before you're exonerated, well, that's reversible. Well, is it really? One can argue that losing a life is not inherently different from losing freedom, say, for, uh, if you're 79 uh, and, and, you, and, and you're uh, convicted and you lose a year or two as opposed to, let's say, you're 20. Here's the hypothetical. A 30-year-old guy gets life in prison, okay? And let's say he's going to live to 90. So he's looking at 60 years of lost freedom. In year 59, when he's 89, the DNA evidence shows, oh, my goodness, you're innocent. We're really sorry. Uh, here's a gold watch and a, and a lot of money. Yeah. Compare that with another hypothetical. An 89-year-old person who is going to live to 90, and he gets the death penalty, and he is executed. And they're taking one year of his life away. And oops, the DNA shows that he's innocent. So he lost one year. So given these you know, admittedly weird hypotheticals I'm giving you, in yeah. what sense is death a more awful punishment than life? In this time, to me, it's much worse that the guy has lost 60 years and then they release him at 90 as opposed to the 89-year-old getting getting convicted. So, yeah. oh, no, I mean, especially since, let's get right. real, everybody dies. It's just a timing question. Yeah. But not everybody loses their freedom sure. for 60 years. I, I can hear you that the the you can concoct a scenario where somebody is robbed of one year as opposed to robbed of 60 years and say the 60 year robbing is worse. But I might also say it's really hard to, to judge those things. Even if you concoct that hypothetical, that doesn't mean we should build uh, the default rule on that hypothetical. We should instead say, uh, well, how do we minimize the total number of lost years? And the way to do that is to have an escape hatch, to let the guy out of prison. Also, being in prison is arguably not as bad as being dead. So if you're in prison and you're, you know, innocent. I guess it would depend on the conditions in the prison. Yeah, but if you're innocent, yeah, exactly. And if you're innocent and you're wrongfully convicted and you spend 60 years in prison, at least you're not dead. You're just wrongfully convicted in prison and that's bad. Uh, and then when you're finally let out in your hypothetical or in a hypothetical, you get a bunch of good years at the end. And hey, what about that? What about that gold watch? And isn't that fantastic? And that's a better outcome than the possibly wrongfully executed miscarriage of justice that's completely irredeemable. Those miscarriages of justice, it's hard to like look into them because, you know, they're years and years ago and the evidence is shaky in a lot of cases and and the, the exonerating evidence is shaky. But while we might not have hard evidence, uh, there are those out there 
uh, who will tell you we've got 20 or 30 people who have been executed where we have strong evidence where we really think maybe they were innocent. We don't quite know, but it would have been maybe, you know, easier for them to advocate for themselves and give better testimony and, you know, have their appeals and all the rest uh, happen if they had been alive and able to actually advocate for themselves instead of everybody kind of just thinking, well, maybe we messed up pretty, on that one. Pretty cool that in one podcast we solved the entire capital punishment conundrum. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to solve the question, uh, answer the question, what the heck's going to happen after these January 6th hearings finally conclude? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roelos. And I'm Conor. So the January 6th hearings are continuing. I guess they've suspended them for a couple of months because I think Democrats want a boffo finish right before the midterms. Smart. Uh, and most people are pretty impressed with the uh, case that they've been putting on. Uh, so uh, the issue immediately is, is the Department of Justice going to indict Donald Trump? I have been saying, Connor, uh, never in a million years is the Department of Justice going to indict Donald Trump. In an election year or just ever? Ever, because they know that that would make him a martyr. There's no guarantee that he would be convicted. And it, it, it is a guarantee that Biden would look bad and look afraid like, oh, gosh, Donald Trump's going to beat me. And so I have to make sure my attorney general uh, in, in, arranges for an indictment and we'll put him on trial and so on. So I don't think that's going to happen. I think that by contrast, the Atlanta district attorney, Fannie Willis, very well may indict because from her perspective, she has the ego of a single human being. She's not all the democratic power structure and the, we're interested in the greater Gloria, glory of Joe Biden and, and the Democrat Party in general. I think she, she's, her attitude is probably, if I don't indict him, nobody is ever going to want to say hi to me on the street among sure. my, my progressive yeah. friends. But if I do indict him, I am going to be an absolute hero. So, well, maybe that's... I, 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 I am always in favor of the cynical view of politicians and lawyers, uh, and she's in a way both. So I can hear you. I absolutely understand, Fannie Willis, and, and, and your perspective on her and, and that she, that's her, her attitude. I would say that even without the ultra cynical version of she wants to be famous and that's why she's doing it, how about the fact that Trump's Georgia crime of calling up Raffensperger, Raffensperger, whatever his name was, mm -hmm. and saying, hey, how about you go find me 20 more votes in the shed out back or whatever, and I'll make it worth your while. And wink, wink, you know what I'm talking about. Probably, you know. Uh, it's a perfect phone call. Yeah, it's a perfect phone call. Yeah, exactly. 
that's such a straightforward and obvious attempt at election tampering that Fannie Willis will will be her her she'll be the laughing stock uh, if she doesn't take this to trial. I mean, even without her personal ego, I mean, it's it's pretty much you check the boxes, you, it's a crime, do your job, right? Like that that's it. So I I think that you're right. The Georgia uh, the Georgia probe is much more likely for all the political reasons that you stated, the much more likely to happen. The other reason why I don't think the DOJ actually is seriously looking into Trump and actually will go after him is because uh, the the DOJ definitely and the Democrats uh, and the Biden White House uh, broadly don't really care very much if Trump wins again in 2024 because the Democrats like losing. The Democrats are part of the status quo. They are part of the two-party system. They are part of trading power back and forth every four or eight years. Oh, no, you're real bad. I win. Oh, no, you're real bad. I win. Oh, we don't really change anything. We don't really do anything. Here's $30 billion to try to deal with climate change. Here's $800 billion for the military this year. Oh, Connor, but we're the progressives. Connor, they don't want to change anything. They don't care happen, if they're in the minority. They love being in the minority because it means they have no responsibility or requirement to actually even pretend to get anything done. Whereas when now they have every branch of freaking government except the Supreme Court, they're letting Joe Manchin take the fall and pretend like they actually want to get anything done. Don't you think Nancy Pelosi would love to see Donald Trump in a jail cell? Nancy Nancy Pelosi has millions of dollars and thousands of flavors of ice cream in her fridge. Everything is freaking great at the Pelosi estate. Her husband's making millions and millions of dollars. Her husband's got some legal issues going on. He's going to be fine because he's propping up the status quo just like she is. There's no danger for either one of them. There never will be any danger for either of them. And and Nancy Pelosi will continue to lean down real low towards the children who come to her office and say, I'm part of the Sunshine Club and my future is going to be flooded and burned by climate change. What should I do? And Nancy goes, oh, uh, I don't think this is her voice, by the way. Oh, I don't think anything's <laughs> going to get done on that. That's a non-starter, kid. Ha ha! And then, like, puts out her cigar on the child's forehead because Nancy doesn't give a crap about actual progressive politics. We're going to have to uh, agree to disagree on that one because I, I really think that a lot of Democrats would would love to see uh, really bad stuff happen to Donald Trump, but. I do think that there are some Democrats who have a different motivation than you described. I think a lot of Democrats can read the polls and they know that if Biden does run for re-election, He'll which lose. he may well, yeah. everybody's thinking, you know, oh, he won't, you know, the poll numbers are in the toilet. But, you know, he he may well. He is going to do better uh, against Donald Trump than he is against DeSantis or Nikki Haley or the others because Trump has so much baggage. And yeah, in that maybe. sense... I think there's a different reason why the Democrats Maybe. would not that, want to go down I that road. That, I think, comes down—it's it, a totally valid perspective on politics to think that that that, that would be the outcome of, the, of Trump running in 2024. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have tea leaves. I don't know how Trump would do. Maybe his star has fallen or faded. Maybe it will be revived and bigger than ever. I don't know. But— I think it comes down to different views of electoral politics. Is it about exciting your wackos? Or is it about appealing to being the rational middle? On the right, it might be different than on the left. I don't know. I think on the right, it's about inflaming the wackos. I think the more wacky you are, the more Trumpers come out of the woodwork because they're, you're just vindicating their mental uh, health problems and that they're, you know, the, their kids won't talk to them anymore. And man, they're really angry about it. And so they're going to go to a Trump rally. Whereas if you get a DeSantis out there, everybody's going to go, oh, Ron who from Florida where? I don't give a crap. And then boss Sleepy Joe might sleepwalk his way through. Speaking of wacky ideas here's one uh, that people are talking about 
a third impeachment trial for Donald Trump. Now, More the better. Uh, a lot of people think of this crazy. You know, impeachment is to kick somebody out. But as we saw when the impeachment to the second one was launched with a matter of days to go yeah. in Trump's term, uh, there was a point made that, in fact, the Senate uh, on two occasions in American history has conducted an impeachment trial involving officials who had already resigned from office before the trial started. So I think the courts would have to decide if it's okay now. Now, if the evidence against Trump is so hugely persuasive emerging from this January 6th deal, theoretically, why couldn't there be a third impeachment trial of Donald Trump? And if it happens... The Senate, and I I believe, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe that the Senate would then have the power under Article uh, 1, Section 3 of the Constitution to, by majority vote, decide that Trump may no longer run for federal office. Right. So, I mean, as unlikely as that series of events might be, the other twist is if he's convicted of a crime, then the 14th Amendment would give Congress the the ability and the courts would get involved too to ban him because you remember after the Civil War the North had a lot of trouble with the insurrectionists in the South right. and one of the clauses of the Fourteenth Amendment post Civil yeah. War was if you're part of an insurrection sorry pal you may not run for a federal office ever again so again it's very unlikely but if you if you just imagine some really explosive stuff coming out. Uh, for example, the idea of, of Trump just sitting around for three hours uh, in his private dining room, just off the Oval Office, and having many opportunities, many people urging him to take action, and he didn't. And meanwhile, you know, Mike Pence practically got uh, hung. Uh, whatever. Oh, oh my God! I mean, I don't know if everyone saw it or not, but the outtakes from Trump's speech after uh, the, the 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 January sixth riot, the speech he gave, where he was saying, you know, it's it's. You're done. Go home. We love you. It's over. But you, we, we, we got to leave now. You're very special to You're us. You're very special to us. All that. He had a bunch of outtakes that are on tape that they showed during the hearing where he's he's, you know, reading off the teleprompter and he says things like uh, the election's over. And so and then he stops and goes, nah, I don't, don't want to say that. I don't want to say the election's over. Eh, scratch that. Scratch that. I'm just going to say that. And he's clearly, you know, angling at the even after January 6th. This is after this has all happened. The next day. Still, still trying to build a case. He's still trying to spin it in a way that keeps the election going, keeps the big lie going. It absolutely is is explosive enough to for the Senate to uh, vote to convict after a third impeachment and to actually bar him from office. And I think it's actually the existence of that a bar from office that makes all the more reasonable and rational the interpretation that you can impeach somebody that's out of office. Because otherwise, you'd begin your impeachment proceedings, and if it was going badly, the minute before they announced your uh, conviction, you'd just go, I resign, and then suddenly you're immune, and then you can run again. Why would you be able to dodge that? Why would you have that loophole in there? You have to be able to convict somebody after they're out of office, because you can't have them dodging. So are you ready for Guess the Verdict? Oh, always. Uh, I think you're going to do even better than you did on that trivia question about Laura like a hard one, being though. a sex worker. Well, it's a it's a different one. Um, this is the case of the male lawyer telling a female opponent, "See you next Tuesday." Yeah, this is now, tough. There is no end, Connor, to the way uh, lawyers can get into trouble. Uh, <laughs> take San Diego lawyer Timothy Scott. 
He represented a bunch of injured folks. Uh, he had a case uh, against the San Diego Railway. A filthy uh, plaintiff's lawyer. Yeah, and he, My uh, natural he enemy. sued the transit system. I'm kidding. I love them. They're very so nice people. He found this lawsuit, but he lost, okay? You know, you do your best, yeah. and he's there in court, and right. the, the decision is announced. And he has two opponents, two female lawyers, Kimberly and Tracy. Sure. Uh, that was my impression of uh, Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie, but it wasn't a very good one. Uh, so right after the decision is announced, Connor, uh, the judge uh, is there and, and this male lawyer, Tim, Tim Scott, is there. And he he says, well, uh, this was a hard fought case. I just lost. I want to thank the court staff for all their help. And to my opponents, the Kimberly and Tracy, yeah. he said, uh, I want to say have a good weekend. See you next Tuesday. I'll see you next Tuesday. And the oh, judge man. said, oh, how nice that, you know, that, you know, he's a gracious person. Well, a few days later, Kimberly, Kimberly. is in front of the judge on right. a different case. And she mentions, um, it's interesting, that expression that the losing lawyer used, see you next Tuesday. It's not really nice. It's it's a slang expression. Right. I don't know if you millennials ever use this. I am aware of it. Okay. So it's a derogatory phrase against women, and we don't have to get an too acronym. explicit. I'll say it's Yeah, we'll just talk about acronyms. See you next Tuesday. Right. So the judge hauls Tim back into court. Right. Reports him to the state bar for disciplinary proceedings. So now the question is... You get to guess the verdict. What does the state Man, bar do so to much, Tim Scott? There's so much context here, and right? By the way, before you answer, I have to tell you up front, this is a trick question. Trick but question. go ahead okay. and do your best anyway. Does this a plaintiff's lawyer, has he actually run into these these uh, female defense lawyers previously? Do they go to the same courtrooms constantly and see each other? Should that matter? Yes, because what if... Oral arguments there's, are heard there's a bar, on... There's a bar meeting next Tuesday that he's going to see them at? Right. What if oral arguments are heard in that courtroom or other courtrooms where they run into each other all the time the next Tuesday? Yeah. What if he has an innocent explanation for this? I don't think he does. Yeah. But what if he does? You need that context. Yeah. In this case, it's a bar discipline case. It's not like a normal lawsuit. It's not like they're suing for defamation or something, in, in, infliction of emotional distress or something. It's a bar discipline case where the state bar investigates a lawyer's conduct and decides whether to suspend or yank the license. Um, but it, I mean, if it gets to that point, the judge knows the context here. And I'm not one to trust judges ever. But in this case, specifically, this judge in this courtroom, you know, kind Except of for all the fine jurists that you're going to be appearing in front of in the next year or two. Yeah. Don't listen to the podcast judges yeah. if I'm in front of you. Um, and that would, it would taint you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, so in this case, I'm going to say if this judge thinks there's enough grounds to drag this guy in front of bar discipline and 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 recommend him to the state bar to have his license looked at, suspended, revoked, whatever, I think he probably, given that context, probably uh, loses. I think this lawyer goes down in flames. I think it's over for him. Well, he was uh, he was apologetic uh, when the judge confronted the, this uh, matter to him with this. He said in a statement, he's deeply embarrassed. He, he apologized to opposing counsel. He said, this is not consistent with my values. I offer n no excuses. This is not who I am. Oh, don't he you, did mean it. Don't you love he's it? He's saying he meant it. Oh, Somebody yeah. admitted to something in America. This thing it has to be yeah. pre-Trump. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. He, no, he's admitting it, yeah. Nobody in post-Trump post-truth world they would absolutely double down they would just they would they would they would they would say they never meant to do that and you're totally reading too much into that and you're totally just a bunch of fragile snowflakes and i can't believe you'd assume that and and the and acronym in the margin of his paper all the capital <laughs> letters would be cu so here's my problem when he says you know that's not who i am a lot of people say that that you know that's not who yeah. i am yeah so uh 
was it an amoeba from Pluto that did it? Because <laughs> you you said it. Yeah. When you say it's not who you are, it is who you are. It's, it's like the, it's a great Onion article where a guy's like, oh, I've, I've had deep reflection since beginning to write this apology. I've really changed this person. I'm not the person I was when I started writing this apology. I'm a totally different man now. It's so good. All right. So here's the trick question Uh-oh. angle. Uh-oh. Um, we have no idea the outcome because no! the state bar, the state bar, is just now sinking its teeth into oh, it's Tim new. Scott. Oh, it's brand gosh. new. It happened a week ago. Wow! So uh, I'm going to be watching with bated breath. Yeah, but it was fun to talk about, yeah. even though we don't know the actual. And of course, when we do know the answer, we'll report it. And then oh, I will get the bell or not. A wonderful audience. Exactly right. Well, welcome back, Connor. This was fun, and uh, we'll do it again next week on Too Many Lawyers. Have a great week, everybody. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.